0: Shabbat shalom, everyone. You may be seated. A few people have stopped me today and asked if I'm feeling okay. I feel just fine. I uh, just got off a plane right before Shabbat yesterday evening from Israel, as Jagger mentioned, where I had the, uh, the fortune of leading 40 women from our congregation to Israel. 40 women I can say unequivocally ladies you pee a lot a lot the bus pulled over every 15 minutes there wasn't a gas station we didn't meet in Israel took away from some of the sights that we saw but it was really fun to be there, and it was really fun to be there and to see so much of Israel through a woman's perspective, which most times I don't get the vantage point of seeing it solely through that lens. We met with Colonel Miri Eisen when we were there, who's the highest-ranking woman in the Israeli military, who's from California originally. We met with Dahlia Rabin when we were there. We met with women soldiers who work in a canine unit with dogs who are specially trained to sniff for drugs, sniff for weapons, sniff for explosives and who are trained to attack terrorists of all different types, from car thieves and thugs to those who are seeking to do harm and how they use these animals as protection and women who control devices that can dismantle a bomb. And whenever you travel in a group, I see some families who have been part of one of our missions together, from the Wolfers to the Lashes to the Straws to the Farbers and others. that and I know I've seen other, the Koshis and others we've traveled together with. There's something that happens when you go in these groups, whether you travel for three days or you travel for 13 days, where you feel this this incredible sense of bonding through what you see together. It becomes a sense of closeness and almost like when you go to camp for those of you who went to camp those of you who still go to camp it's amazing and when you come home it's a very bittersweet feeling because when you come home what you realize is that it's great to be with your family and it's great to have all the accoutrements that you have in your bedroom and the television set and have your laundry done but you really miss camp and you miss your friends at camp and you miss that zone that you're in And that's what happens on our trips. And I always prepare the people. When you leave for a trip, those first two days are always kind of awkward because you're in that zone of being with those people and celebrating with them and experiencing with them and the jokes that you create and the friendship that you create and the community that is formed. And it's very hard to describe to someone who hasn't experienced it. But for those who have, I can see it in your eyes and your faces. It resonates because you draw together and you become whole. Whether you're all a group of women or you're all a group of Barbat Mitzvah families or you're all a group of men or you're all a group of seniors or empty nesters or whoever it may be, you come to become one. And especially when experiencing places like Israel, it's hard to break apart. I share that with you because I'm happy to be here and celebrating with a family that I know and care for and had, I think this might be the first one where I've had the pleasure of officiating at the bar bat mitzvah of all of the siblings, right? Sibriana and Luke and now Jagger, which is very satisfying and fulfilling for me. And I don't have any upset in being here, obviously, but there is that feeling of, I'm away from a group. I'm away from where we were. And what is that about? What does that come from? Why do people always feel like when they're with a group or community or an experience that they have that disconnect when it's taken away? Well, if you look at the Torah portion we read today, when someone is afflicted with leprosy, Jagger explained very beautifully that you would have to go to a camp. You were an outcast. This is where the notion of a leper colony came from. Because you were put away so that the contagiousness of your disease couldn't be around others. And while you were there, you were away from your family, your friends, your work, and all the people that mattered most to you. And you had to wait for the priest to serve the role as doctor to come and check you on multiple times to see if you could come back and be part of the group. The Midrash, which gives explanations to the Torah, tells us that the reason that this is associated with Lashon Hara, that this is associated with evil speech, is because someone who speaks in a nasty way, in a rude way, in a discourteous way about their friend, their family, their neighbor... That they don't deserve to live in a community with those people. And therefore, they are made as outcasts. They are put in a different place. And they don't deserve to have the benefits of being around people who share values, who share customs, who share beliefs, who share love, compassion, understanding, and friendship, one for the next. That that's something we care about in our tradition, is being one. A khedut, a sense of unity. And unity matters. And if we take a look, even at the Haggadah, there's a great example that proves this point even further. And the example is in the four sons. You all know the story from the four sons from Passover? Who are they? You have the wise sons, Ali says, What else do we have? The simple son. What else do we have? The, The inquisitive. He would kind of go with the simple one. What else? The wicked son, that's the second in order. And the last one, doesn't even know how to ask. It doesn't care, goes into the category of wicked. It's very interesting now that there are multiple versions of the Haggadah out. They have different translations for who they are. So, with the wicked, we have the the wise, the wicked, the simple, and the one who doesn't even know how to ask. And that's the order. And what's interesting the rabbis point out about the wicked son is he says here in Hebrew, Mahu Amerah, What does the wicked child ask? What is this ritual that you guys do? You and not me. He doesn't include himself in the group. He doesn't say, what is this weird ritual that we do? What is this stupid ritual that we do? He doesn't say it in a nasty way, including himself. He says, what is this strange and weird ritual that you do? Which means I'm not a part of you. And what does it say at the end? Shehu kafar beikar, That a person like this is considered to be a heretic. One of the worst names, labels you can get in our tradition is kafar beikar, Someone who is heretical. And why is he considered to be a heretic? Not because he's asking questions. Not because he's inquisitive. Not because he's cynical. Not because he's skeptical. Not because he's pushing back. But why? Because he doesn't want to be included in the group. He doesn't want to be part of community. He doesn't want to be part of Ahdut, of one. And one is a magical number for us. It's a magical number because it's the one God that we have. It's how we end the sentence of the Shema. It is meaningful for us because we are all one. And I want to share two experiences that happened to me this week that embody that in very powerful and meaningful ways. It's impossible to talk about Israel and all of the threats that face her on the borders without talking about the internal struggles that she deals with each and every day. If anyone thinks that this is unique to Israel, they just haven't studied history long enough. This country and other countries have dealt with external and internal threats and they've dealt with them at the same time. For those who don't know their American history, think about a civil war. That wasn't about an external threat, it was about an internal struggle. So as we talked about the issues happening with the Arab Spring that's over a year old now, in Egypt and changes in its border and in Syria and issues with Hezbollah and Lebanon and issues with Gaza and of course Iran that continues to enrich uranium we also talked about the polarities that are existing today between the life of the Chiloni the secular Jew in Israel and the religious Jew in Israel and issues that have manifested themselves over the past year between ultra-Orthodox and non-Orthodox who have come to heads and to locking horns with each other over issues of what is a Jew and where does religious value and religious dictum overpower a sense of identity and statehood. We tussled with these issues while we were in Israel and feeling the change and the struggle and the back and forth that happened. For example, to see young boys and girls who are serving in the military but the ultra-orthodox who choose, ultra-orthodox, who choose to be exempt from it can exercise that exemption and not be in that not have to serve. That's a frustration for many who live in Israel to know that their children will put their lives on the line but others won't. That they'll reap the same benefits of security but don't have to make the same sacrifices. That is a challenge. But for us, something that kind of brought it all together was a moment we had on the day of Israel's independence where we went to a border patrol base not far from Jerusalem. There, we met with a special unit their job is not only in border patrol and in crossings, but also into arresting terrorists who had been wanted and what we would call serving warrants, wanted and thought to be in certain places. And if a terrorist is known to be at you know, 26 uh, uh, Main Street, word travels very quickly in villages that they're going to go find them. And normally when you knock on the door of 26 Main Street, that terrorist isn't there. So you can search the house inside out. They have made a way. So what happens is this group, this special unit, has been trained in camouflage, where they can spend anywhere from 12 to 72 hours dressed like a rock or like a tree in the side of a cliff, and we had to look at these cliffs and try and find where the person was, and not a person could do it. And then they would stand up, and we would see them, and they would move during the course of our interaction, and we had to find them again. And what we noticed is that when they came down from those cliffs, and then they did the presentation, that they showed us how the dogs were trained to both sniff her weapons, to sniff her drugs, to sniff her bombs, and to take down terrorists of different types and thugs, we noticed that between all of the different people in the army working together, some were wearing a kippah, and some weren't that there was an absolute amalgam, a sense of togetherness, a sense of unity that existed in that unit, regardless of whether they were religious, whether they were secular, regardless of whether Shabbat would come and someone would decide to type and to use electricity, and another person would only insist on following all the laws of not using electricity or not driving on that holiday. They looked after one another. And when one of the women from our group asked the question, tell me, how does that work between you? They kind of giggled and said, I never really noticed who wears a kippah or who doesn't. All I know is who this person is and that in a dark hour I have their back and they have mine. That to me was a sense of unity that is second to none. That is all about what Israel is to us, of becoming one. We felt that sense of oneness when we gathered at the very square where Yitzhak Rabin gave his final speech before he was brutally assassinated at the hands of a radical Jew. And there, 18,000 people gathered. 18,000. And you could hear silence was quieter than this room now. All when the siren went off for the Memorial Day, and as different artists in Israel came up, and they all sang different memorial songs here, in order to earn your bones in the music industry, every musician, whether they're rock, whether they're reggae, whether they're, they're pop, whether they're rap, they have to write a love song. But in Israel, every musician, whatever their genre is, has to write a song about the fallen soldier. And each of the main players in the Israeli music world got up on the stage where Rabin was assassinated 16 years previously and they sang a song to a fallen soldier and dedicated. And 18,000 people were there singing those songs together, holding candles, and we were part of them, and we were again a sense of unity. The other sense of unity happened in a surreal sort of way. The surreal way was when I had my first group in Israel, and I've led quite a few now from the synagogue, that has not visited the tents, thank God, of Delah Shalit. I thought of you, Sydney Lash, I thought of you and all the work that you had done to advocate for his release and thousands of other people just like you who worked hard to make a difference to ensure that he never fall off our radar. And I've been past that site a few times since he's been released, but never on a bus full of people from our shul. And it gave me a great sense of satisfaction to see that space empty in front of the Prime Minister's office, soon to be another place of some other demonstration, but not about him. And it made me think of something that makes Israel unlike any other country. I want to ask you a question. Just raise your hands high and proud. Not this stuff. High. Okay? Who here has heard of Bo Bergdahl? Bo Bergdahl. Raise your hand high if you've heard of him. Raise your hand high if you've heard of Gilad Shalit. Bo Bergdahl is the exact same age as Gilad Shalit. He's a Marine who was taken captive by the Taliban in Afghanistan more than three years ago. He's been held hostage. But I ask you, has the President of the United States, and this is not about Barack Obama, it's not about George Bush, has he once mentioned in the State of the Union address that we won't go to bed at night and have a sound night's rest until Bo Bergdahl is returned from the hands of the Taliban? I didn't hear it. And I didn't hear it in the previous administration if there was a similar situation. So it's not an attack on our President. It's an attack on the government. The fact that all of you who are well-educated, successful people who read the papers don't know who this person's name is, but all of you know who Gilad Shalit is, is indicative of the very point I'm driving home today. That Israel is the home of unity. It is the home of oneness. It is the home of family. It is the home where we all come together with one common goal, even with all of our differences. And that is why Tazriya Mitzorah focuses on being expelled and being put away and outside the camp as the greatest punishment. As the Rasha, the evil child who says, what is this that you're doing? It doesn't include himself. He's called the heretic. Because we all know that when Gilad Shalit suffered and his parents suffered, that we were suffering too. And none of us slept as soundly, especially in Israel as we did that night. We knew that he slept in his own bed under the shelter and embrace of the government of Israel the people of Israel and comforted and tucked in by his mother and his father that's what it means to have a sense of oneness as I flew home on the airplane yesterday afternoon before Shabbat I was thumbing through the channels on the TV trying to find something to watch in between my dozing off there was a movie I haven't seen in a long time called Little Miss Sunshine it's a powerful movie something cool about seeing a movie for the third or fourth time, because you get to see themes and values and, and statements in it, like in reading a book over that you never caught the first time. And what I noticed in Little Miss Sunshine was, it was the epitome of a dysfunctional family. It was a suicidal uncle. It was a brother who was, wanted nothing to do with his family, who took a vow of silence. It was a father who had high aspirations and goals, but was very low achieving. A mother who was doing all the breadwinning and trying to be a source together. It was addicted grandfather and they were all going off with this innocent young girl so that she could try and win this contest. And all of the trip was all about their perils and divisions. But at the one moment at the end of the movie, when this young girl faces, faced a sense of humiliation, a feeling castigated, a feeling pushed away, because she was in a contest of which she had no realization of what was happening around her. And they didn't want her to face that because they realized it. All of them. The suicidal, the high achieving, the mother who was the glue. They all served as a buffer so that she wouldn't have to feel that pain. And the reason there's no movie about the ride home is because that ride home, they realized that sense of unity. That is the lesson we get from the Torah. And that is the lesson we can celebrate in 64 years since Israel's independence that there's something about being together that matters more to us as a people than any other people we know. And that's why we feel it when we're part of a trip and we leave those first few days. That's why we feel it those couple of days after camp ends or any of those other experiences that we have. That's why we read about it in the Haggadah with the wicked child. And that's what the real punishment was for those who spread gossip. To feel part of something special when you're together and to feel punished by being away from it. Let us not forsake that blessing we have of being part of something bigger, of being one, of celebrating that. For those who have the opportunity to go to Israel, there is no excuse except for finances that should stand in your way of going and experiencing it there. No excuse. All types of other things will come and go, but I haven't taken anyone there before or seen anyone else who's gone on the road has come back and said, I've regretted that decision. I don't feel as good of a Jew since that decision. They say the opposite. They feel committed, better. Husbands, wives, children, more connected to community, more connected to Judaism, more connected to tikkun olam, more connected to one another, and more connected to themselves because they had a better sense of community and unity. May we understand that blessing we have. And for those who have it, may we take advantage of that blessing. May it change our lives. May we always have it as a compass to bring us as one. Amen. We continue at the Chati Chodesh, page 155.